And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even, your team gonna be sad leaving at the match. Welcome to... Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, who has defeated COVID. There was a COVID scare out there, but a simple pandemic can't bring down the kid. And unfortunately, I don't think he could go to Indiana, but that means he's here with us. After the Celtics beat the Pacers 119 to 100, Jason Tatum over 30 points, Jalen Brown over 30 points, and the Celtics are on a three-game winning streak. Jay, I don't know what to make of this. What the hell's going on out there? Yeah, three-game winning streak. Just the (laughs) second of the season and tied for the longest of the season. They're back to 500. You say that like it's a good thing. I guess it's better. I mean, it's better. It's better than being under five hundred. So yeah, the uh, the stretch that we talked about that was very important. They didn't fully take advantage of it, but they didn't fully screw it up either. They they ended up winning what four of the six games against teams under five hundred, plus another one against the Suns right before it. So. They made I up think a when we bit of ground. <laughs> when we talked about it, it was a five-game stretch where I said anything less than three and two would be unacceptable, and they really pushed the pushed Celtics fans to the brink by losing the first two in absolutely excruciating fashion. But uh, and you know what? They even tried to lose the first game against the Pacers, but. I think it's the kind of response we were looking for from the Celtics in terms of just a, a solid kind of victory against the Knicks in that second game, a very solid performance against the Pacers here where the Celtics are playing bad teams. And earlier in the season, they've struggled to beat bad teams. Here, they turned into very solid victories. And I would say, this is just me, but the kind of narrative that uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can't play together uh, doesn't really have a lot of merit when you see them turn in performances like this. I mean, Jason Tatum started off the game uh, just absolutely on fire, four or four from three. And then Jalen Brown had a, a nice little eight point stretch of his own to keep the kind of extend the Celtics lead. And he was pretty dynamic in the second half. It was just a wire to wire victory from the Celtics. And it's the type of basketball that, Ideally, you'd want them to play, uh, but it's it's just all about consistency at this point. And so 
you know, I have no idea if they can build off this moving forward just because they have not shown uh, that that's something they're really uh, capable of yet. Hey, they're at one one good game in a row. Um, so that's good. I'm not going to count the other Pacers win, which was just a hideous, hideous performance on all sides. Um, the str- <laughs> the fourth quarter of that game was just special. <laughs> two two teams that entered that night two and eleven in games that were decided by five points or fewer, and you could tell. Oh man, you could tell. But but yeah, and, and this is a thing. I think when when Tatum and Brown both have it going from outside, which hasn't been as often this season, especially because Tatum has really struggled from outside compared to his standard most of the, most of the season. But when they have it going from outside, they're good enough to mask a whole lot of other stuff. And then all the other stuff offensively doesn't matter as much. And then defensively, like their defense is really good. They have a top five defense. And if you can just play defense and then Tatum and Brown are both very good, that's a formula to win a lot of games. Now that, is, that is the formula. Like That's the only way they're going to win games because their offense isn't good enough to kind of carry them. We just haven't seen both Tatum and Brown put it together really in the same game uh, so far this season. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. Um, I can't remember another game where they were both just like really hot. Um, but, but yeah, like when they both have it going, and, and that's the thing too, like they should be – two closer types right they should be two guys who can get buckets in a close game in the fourth quarter but it's gone totally the other way um but they also haven't had many blowout wins either like so to to get one on the road in indiana against the pacers team they just beat the other night it was a good win it was it was a good win a mature win Ime Odoka really cut down the rotation um which was pretty interesting. No more Romeo Langford. No Aaron Neesmith. Peyton Pritchard played like, I think, four minutes in the first half. It was basically just Grant Williams and Josh Richardson off the bench with Marcus Smart out. So that was interesting. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing. Guys have played a ton of minutes. Jason Tatum has played a ton of minutes. Jalen Brown has played a ton of minutes. I think even Marcus Smart is like pretty high up there and uh, on the leaderboard of, of minutes played this season. So I don't know whether it's a good thing to be playing that tight a rotation in, on January 12th against the Pacers, but it was, it was a win and, and it was, it's a winning streak. So <laughs> maybe it's something that the Celtics can, can build off of. I mean, I, I do think they were lucky to be playing the Indiana Pacers who have a bunch of like, I would say decent guys. Like you look at their lineup, you're like, oh yeah, he's an NBA player. Uh, And that's pretty much how you, I think you would describe their entire roster, but they never really came back in the second half uh, with a punch and like went on a run there of their own. I think we saw the Celtics get out to a big lead against the Knicks when they were knocking down threes. And then they were unable to kind of answer the Knicks energy uh, and certainly couldn't make a shot late. I think, I mean, when Tatum comes out and just makes his first four threes, he didn't make any threes for the remainder of the game, uh, finished the game four for nine. But it just allows the Celtics to – they just felt like they were playing much more comfortably tonight. And 
I don't know if this is just a lack of ball pressure for the Pacers, but the Celtics only had 11 turnovers tonight, which I thought was huge because any opportunity that they can limit transition offense against them and are, can consistently get into their half-court defense, as you mentioned, like that's going to really slow down the other teams. I think it's just what this team needs to do going forward is consistently kind of get out to these big leads and then um, – be able to withstand the kind of the counter punch from other teams. I don't think uh, necessarily the Pacers are the best test of that, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see if that's something they can do moving forward. And they actually have two very talented opponents coming up in a back-to-back against they're going to Philly and then they're playing the uh, Bulls at home. And the Celtics, I can't remember a lot of times the Celtics have been completely blown out this year. Like, feels like they play pretty close games. They had a game earlier in the season where they uh, had one of their disastrous 20-point comebacks played against them against the Bulls. And so I think it'll be a very solid test for them, but it certainly won't be the Pacers and the Knicks. And it's going to be important to see kind of where they match up against some better teams in the Eastern Conference because right now, like, despite the three-game winning streak, they're still in 10th place. Like, they still have a lot of ways to go to even – I would even say put them in the making some noise category and like beating teams in the Eastern Conference that are uh, not coached by Rick Carlisle, I think will be uh, more impressive than uh, whatever this small winning. You're not a big Rick Carlisle guy, huh? No, Rick Carlisle stinks. The guy got a one, one championship and then never got to the first round again. I I think you're very mistaken about that. Oh yeah. Because that's what, that's what the uh, uh, consensus says is that Rick Carlisle is the best coach in the game. He's a great offensive mind. He's just a kind of a kind of a jerk. Do you read that that article where he just you, pissed you off Luka Doncic and a great offensive mind? But can you be an effective coach in the league if all your players hate you? I think he's proved that. If all his players one time, do hate one time, um, yeah, I, I thought. I mean, tonight the the one stretch that stood out is like, oh man, there are the Celtics again. Was the end of the second quarter, and they just. Just kind of stopped playing. Um, went scoreless, scoreless for, for a good three straight minutes. Yeah. I, I think it got up to four and a half minutes. It was yeah, pretty that's, bad. That's pretty impressive. So, but then they, they bounced back from that. Al Horford had a nice stretch, started the third quarter. They kept defending, which I think is important. And then the one thing Emi Odoka stressed in his press conference was just that the Celtics got stops and they ran in transition. And that's kind of been something we don't really talk enough about on the podcast is just how bad the Celtics have been in transition. They are 22nd in points per play in transition, 26th in points added per 100 possessions in transition. Sheesh. They are 21st in points per play off of li- off of a live rebound. They are 20th in points per play off a of steal. Like this should be... They should be a good transition team. They have Jalen Brown, who's a great athlete. And they have Jason Tatum, who can get out and make plays. And they have Dennis Schroeder, who's fast as hell. But they have botched transition opportunities or just not even tried to get transition opportunities too often. So I think I think it's pretty clear that Udoka has stressed that lately, that they need to not let teams get back in half court. And then maybe things change for them. You know, get a few easy buckets. Then all of a sudden the threes are easier. Then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter you got a little confidence going, 
you got you got a rhythm and and maybe 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 the Celtics won't crater um but you you can tell that's an emphasis from Udoka and I mean there's no excuse for them to be where they are in the transition ranking so far this season like zero zero excuse do you think it's like a more of like an unwillingness to run or like a just not filling the lane? Because I also I they have been atrocious in transition, but it feels like a lot of that is just turnovers on the fast break, throwing bad passes, and not necessarily from a lack of effort. But then it can't be all of that when you kind of list the stats and the rankings that you just listed. So and, think- and clearly, if it's a point of emphasis, it's it's probably both. As mo- like it's obviously not one thing, but it does feel like they're either have had some bad luck or just bad decision-making because it seems like they can't run a successful fast break to save their lives. I think part of it is probably the bad decision-making, the lack of passing, the the lack of like, not unselfishness, because I think they actually have a lot of guys who care about winning, but more like the vision and willingness to find open guys rather than put your shoulder down and try to go yourself. And then shoot, shoot, shooting is a, a big part of that too. Like, how many times in transition do the Warriors just find Steph Curry and he hits a three or, you know, <laughs> and if, if you're not going to have shooters space in the lane, then if you're not going to be in semi transition and kick ahead and somebody hits a three, like that's a lot of wasted opportunities. So, so I, I think there are a lot of factors that go into that, but them being as far down that leaderboard as they are is bad. And and it's an obvious area that they can focus on to improve without really getting much better offensively. Like just just be better when you're like four on three, you know, or be better when you get a stop and pitch it out ahead. And then the, the numbers will start to look a little better. And then your defense, which is in the top five and which has been stingy most of the season, can carry you. And that's kind of how they did it in 2017 2018 Kyrie's first year Gordon Hayward went down even when Kyrie was in the lineup they didn't have a great offense but they had a very good defense they could depend on and they got out and ran and got like they capitalized on opportunities and they scored just enough that their defense was able to keep them in every game and I'm not saying that they're going to go on a run like that team did but there is a formula for really good defensive teams that have some good offensive players and the Celtics just haven't tapped into that formula yet. But but maybe they're close. Maybe they're close, Sam. Do you really have a top five defense if you can't turn that defense into offense? Oh, now, now who's thinking with gas? Now we got philosophy I mean, it's, going. Now we got – that makes me a good offensive brand, better than Rick Carlisle at this point. Um it's funny how, like, when the Celtics are making shots, how much better their ball movement looks. And I don't feel like, like, the first quarter they shot 64% from the field. They were 11 for 17. And I don't think their ball movement was drastically that much better. I thought Robert Williams did a pretty good, like, he found uh, Tatum for a, a nice three to start the game. I thought Al Horford did a good job kind of, like, setting screens, getting uh, Jalen Brown open. But, like, their <coughs> off ball movement wasn't, like, that much better. It's just... They, you know, went seven of 10 from deep. And so it looks like um, they're doing a lot more uh, on the offensive end. But I agree with you. It's like 
it feels pretty wild for to have a top five defense and then a lower third transition offense. It feels like the the top five defense would naturally um, kind of lend itself to offense. The other thing I, I wanted to get your opinion on, and it mostly because it feels like it's just validating a lot of my opinions about Dennis Schroeder is at least in uh, that game against the Pacers when it was crunch time, we saw Ime go completely away from Schroeder. Um, Marcus Smart was hurt at that point, but he closed the game with Grant and Josh Richardson. Grant Williams ended up hitting that huge three in the corner. I mean, Dennis came back and had a pretty solid uh, game tonight, scoring 23 points. He went on a, a solid run in the third quarter to kind of keep them afloat. I mean, I, I talk a lot of shit about Dennis, but I'll give him credit where uh, credit is due. Where do you think he stands moving forward? I mean, obviously he's going to play, uh, especially if Marcus Smart's out, but it feels like there's a, a kind of an acknowledgement that maybe he's not the best guy to be in that closing five. Yeah, and I think the, the evidence is piling up to support that theory. Um, and I, I get why Udoka has tried to keep going back to that because there there really weren't a lot of games the Celtics played when they had their desired closing lineup with Smart, Tatum, Brown, and Schroeder. And so if you think that's going to be your best lineup, you almost have to try it for a certain amount of games, whatever amount of games you decide that to be. But at some point, if those guys can't score together, if you keep having collapses every fourth quarter, you got to find something else. And I feel like Udoka finally reached that point, at least for one game against the Pacers. And maybe it was a matchup dependent thing. I tend to think it probably wasn't. Um, It was probably that he's seen the substantial evidence that the four perimeter guys just can't play, play together, can't score together. They don't have, they have too many pass first guys, I think. And, and smart in like the wrong situations can also be like shoot first, you know, like if you put smart in certain situations, all his IQ, all his smart plays can go out the window. Um, so I, I just think it's not necessarily a shrewder thing. It's more of, he just doesn't fit with the best players on the Celtics and if he doesn't fit with the best players on the Celtics, find someone else who does. Even if it's a talent downgrade to Grant Williams or Josh Richardson, those guys can provide spacing. They can provide more defensive versatility. Um, and it's not like the Celtics closed crisply. <laughs> the no, nothing, nothing about that first game was crisp. It was so bad. Um the foul on Rob Williams, or I guess it got switched to Josh Richardson, but the foul on the three. It's like, what are you doing? There was one play. Oh, that was a that was an awful call, though. That was an absolutely terrible, terrible foul call. I mean, nonetheless, you cannot put yourself in the position where it might be a foul call in that situation. Um, but the three that Jalen, I think it was Jalen Brown missed, and Tatum doesn't get back, and then he gives up an and one dunk. Like, there were so many plays the Celtics – made that they've made time and time again but they just happened to survive it in in that outing like I didn't think that was evidence that you know Grant Williams and Josh Richardson in the closing lineup is like gonna be perfect 
<laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not sure it is. Um, that said, I do think it's a step in the right direction to try to change things after how badly things have gone in the fourth quarter so far. And, and the Celtics, like, they just have to be mentally sharper. They can't have the moments where you don't get back, the moments where you foul a three-point shooter, the moments where yada, yada, yada. It, it seems like they've just had so many mental errors this year um, in big moments. And and that's been weird because it just keeps happening. But, but now Grant Williams and Josh Richardson are in the, the closing lineup, I think. We'll see. Marcus Smart will be in there for one of them when he gets back. I think. We'll see. We'll see if Udoka stays with it. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's something that can change game to game. I will. They did make a lot of mistakes at the end of the Pacers game, but I do, I think, to give them some credit, they were down four, I think, in the final minutes and were able to kind of make plays to force that game to overtime and then win in overtime. And if we're talking about mental toughness and especially them being called out after the Knicks game for kind of crumbling under pressure, obviously being at home against the Pacers is a little different than like giving up a 20 point lead to the Knicks in MSG. But uh, I'll give them credit for winning the basketball game. uh, I'm normally not a a results over process guy, but when you're under 500, results seem to matter uh, quite a bit. Now, before, this is a post-game podcast. We haven't done this in a while. And so I think we're going to finish this off with a little potable six-pack where one of the brilliant things of the uh, online live room here on the Athletic app is uh, those folks in the audience can raise their hand and join for the potable six-pack. But before we get to that, this is an NBA podcast. we got to talk about rumors. Jeff Green to the Celtics. Your thoughts. I also saw a Marcus Morris might be available to the Celtics. I know you would love a Mook reunion. What do you think about those two guys fits uh, possibly with this Celtics team? They kind of, they kind of already fit in as that, in that four role of guys who can hit threes and be large. Yeah, I think either one would make sense. Uh, Especially if the Celtics want to get away from some of the double big lineups. I don't know that they do. Um, the starting lineup with Al Horford and Robert Williams played great tonight. It's been pretty successful most of the season when all the starters are available. So I I also think Grant Williams' emergence has made finding a player like that a little less important because you know you can rely on Grant at the four. You know you can use him and he can space the court and he can defend. Um but I, I do think Jeff Green would be a pretty good fit. He's he would give some athleticism, he'd give some bounciness, um, and and Marcus Morris would just be another scorer, another shooter. Wouldn't necessarily help the uh, the ball movement. <laughs> the ball movement, yeah. But but he he's he's done a lot to become a knockdown three point shooter. So. So that obviously the Celtics need that, and and if it comes with size, and if they can keep their defensive integrity, then then that would be, you know, some somebody like that would be a, a pretty good pickup. Um. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I I do think if I think the Celtics could be like everyone wants to talk about, are they going to be buyers? Are they going to be sellers? I think they could be both, like. 
if you get the right opportunity to move Dennis Schroeder because you're not going to keep him long term and this team probably isn't going to win a title, definitely isn't going to win a title, and and he's not the best fit with your best players, go ahead, move him. If you also want to bring in a shooter, if you can find the right fit and someone who you think can accentuate Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, go ahead, do it. Like I don't, I don't think it necessarily has to be you're either a buyer or a seller. I think it's just be, just be opportunistic, and and you have to find the right pieces to fit with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which they didn't do this past off season, and which they now have more pressure to get it right because they're now over one. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. That is fair. All right. It is time for the world-famous potable six-pack. Uh... That is where Jay and I, and possibly you, if you're in the live room right now, just raise your hand, talk about our favorite six moments. I will say over the three-game winning streak, so we don't just have to limit yourself to tonight. Um, Jay, do you want the first pick? I feel, I'm feel i feeling generous tonight. Yes. Yes, I do. Let's hear it. And I know exactly what I'm going to pick. This was an automatic pick before the games even happened. Ooh. We just watched Lance Stevenson <laughs> in two straight games in the year 2022, and he's still Lance Stevenson. He's still strumming the air guitar. He's still bouncing his way into the middle of the lane. He's still, you know, thinking he's in control of the offense, and he's still brilliant at times. And Dumb at driving, time. driving coast to coast today, and then just completely throwing the ball into the first row at the buzzer. He is still Lance Stevenson, the Lance Stevenson we loved and remembered, and so that's that's got to be the number one pick. I he made me yearn for the Celtics to sign Jordan Crawford again. <laughs> I just want Jordan Crawford back in Boston doing his Steez thing, just for two ten day contracts. It would be perfect. It, it could happen. I mean, we got an ISO Joe moment. I think like, uh, I don't know what Jordan Crawford's doing these days, but I think hopefully I Brad Stevens. That dude knows <laughs> basketball. We, <laughs> we all know he's hooping. Um, my first pick, um, it happened tonight. It's got to be Robert Williams uh, putting his elbow through the hoop on that alley-oop. Like normally you don't see, Robert Williams does some pretty, Wild stuff in terms of just his vertical ability and his leaping. He gets well above the rim. I'm just not used to uh, seeing him throw his entire forearm 
through the hoop. I just thought that was uh, incredibly badass. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Like, and it was just kind of casual too. Like it just happened, and I—I I mean, I don't know how. He he kind of like used Miles Turner as a propeller upward, and and Robert Williams always gets high, but even for him, that was impressive. I know this is a Celtics podcast, but um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the uh, another team on a three game win streak, and the team with the second best offense in the NBA, and I would say the best offensive coach in the NBA, someone who's an offensive genius. And the players still like him. That's right, folks. It's Charlotte Hornets and uh, assistant behind the bench offensive coach Nick Friedman. Uh, two solid wins against the Bucks, and uh, just another victory against the 76ers tonight. Um, just uh, got to gotta clap it up for all the work Nick Friedman's doing down there in Charlotte. You think he deserves coach of the year votes? I mean, I'd give it to him. I'd put him at least uh, top three on my ballot. I think we've seen his promotion – like, did you did you think the Hornets were going to have a top the second best offense in the NBA when we came into this year? What's their defense? Well, he doesn't coach the defense. Oh, he's just an offensive mastermind. Yeah, he's he's an offensive specialist. He's the assistant head coach. He's the assistant to the assistant head coach in terms of offense, and so I think it's it's uh, the uh, the evidence is on that court. The Hornets are twenty six in the year. Uh, this year on defense, so so maybe he's uh, got to learn defense and come back next year. And yeah, be and maybe he's got to be in in front of the bench this time, or maybe they just need to sign a center and stop playing Cody Zeller big minutes. <laughs> that would help too. <laughs> a lot of a lot of wild changes that could occur uh, down in Charlotte. A lot of wild things that could happen uh, here in Boston. We'll see what happens. We'll come to you guys. After this two big two-game stretch against the 76ers and the Bulls, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for everyone who joined us in the podcast. And I don't have a random thing to ask uh, UJ if anything is potable, so I'm just going to say, Anything is potable! Work on your closing skills, man. I hadn't prepared for it. That's my bad. I just had nothing. I'm embarrassed by you sometimes. You could have helped out, but, you know. I could have, but you didn't even give me the chance. That's true. But this press conference is about to start, so I got to run. Perfect timing. All right. Talk to you later. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 